Well, may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 71 for Saturday 10th of November 2018. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a guest to help discuss with me what's been happening to our country, what is about to happen to our country, and hopefully what we can do about it. This week's guest host is returning guest host and my beloved wife, Denise Pierco. What? Beloved wife? When did that happen? You're the beloved one. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. Hi. Hi. What we've got this week, and obviously there's been a terror incident in Melbourne on Friday afternoon. It's too early for us on Saturday morning to be really covering in any sensible way, which, of course, doesn't stop any of the Murdoch press from just going hard on it. He's from Somalia. He was a... Ref- uh, we're not sure if... He- I don't sure if he's a refugee, but he was from Somalia. He's a Muslim. Ding, ding, ding! It's terrorism! He must be a terrorist! Absolutely, yep. we've won the lotto. If it's the uh, religion that the- that's currently being demonised and it's a minority group that's incredibly vulnerable... Excellent, we can blame all of them for it. Anyway, Matthew Guy is uh, out there this morning saying that uh, we don't have to live this way as if there was some magic thing he was going to do that would have stopped this. And all his plan seems to be is to build prisons everywhere. So what, is his plan to lock up the Somali and Muslim communities entirely? Like, Well, he'll wave what? his little lobster claw wand and bop someone on the head with it and then everything will be better. I, I, d- I don't think that just because he like eats lobster dinners with you know mafia types means that he gets a wand like that. Like, those are totally different fa- fantasy worlds. Like, that's... What are you talking about? He's Matthew Guy the Lobster Fairy. I, I think I need to rewatch The Godfather, but I don't remember any wands in it. All right, fine. But no, you're right. He is out there this morning saying these things, and it's this idea that, you know, he'll fix it. He'll, he'll help us get it back and take back control. Well, their line is, they want us to believe that we're all in great danger. It's all the bullshit when they're running up the, the scare campaign against Sudanese migrants. And when people are afraid, then they go along with particularly xenophobic law and order policy measures that target people who aren't them. So, he, I mean, that's how that's how the state libs are planning on getting out of the line on this law and order bullshit. And so they and claim, and yeah, it was like the other day, Matthew, Matthew Guy's bus passed the Daniel Andrews bus. Daniel Andrews' bus was going out to Packenham uh, to open a school, and they were driving up to the uh, the libs were driving out to the western suburbs to open a prison. Yeah, Woo. well, sorry, to propose announce Proposed, a prison yeah. and announce a school. Yeah, I, I tend to think that our community is safer when we've got more educated people rather than disadvantaged pockets of oppressed people and marginalised people. But anyway, well, and that's the interesting point, isn't it? Is that it is that marginalisation that often leads to extremism. It is that marginalisation that often leads to disenfranchised populations. That the more we marginalise people, the more that we point out a group and say you're a minority you're bad you're you're evil we treat you badly we, 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 treat, we them- treat them as second class citizens then the ones on the edge the fringe who are yes. in every community are more likely to do something against we're presenting them with a an actual unjust oppressor Absolutely. And we could be, well, we become that unjust oppressor. Absolutely. And we create the situation that we are railing against. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's not a good one. Yeah, but that's that's also why you know, actual terrorist groups kind of want right-wing groups in power. Even though the right-wing groups are the ones who hate them the most, 
they're also the ones who do the most stuff to help them recruit. Absolutely. And it also gives them focus. It's a lot harder to have that nexus of focus and hate on someone who's quite reasonable and who's doing a lot of things for your community and doing a lot of inclusive things than it is to have for someone like Trump. Yeah. So yeah, if you're Al-Qaeda, you want Trump in charge. Absolutely. But Matthew Guy isn't the only person out spouting bullshit this morning. This morning? This morning. Saturday morning? There's lots of people out Saturday morning, like in Nairwarren. Oh, yes. By the time you hear this, it'll be too late. But the ACL are down in Nairwarren, busy door knocking for the Victorian campaign. They're like, we're not supporting a a political party. It's just that Daniel Andrews is doing safe schools, which is going to turn your kids transgender and teach them perversions. It is. And they'll be taught by drag queens who will sexualize them. And Anyway, they're out there this morning in Nairwarren door knocking to terrify people about trans people and the, their aim is to have the state Liberals win the election. It is, and I realise that that is this morning and that by the time you listen to this, probably tonight or tomorrow or whenever you listen to it. takes me to edit. <laughs> or whenever you happen there to download it. There is a bit of audio that I'll be merging in this episode, so you'll hear it. We've got a bunch of things to play. The point is that the ACL, this isn't going to be a one-off. They're going to be targeting seats. They're going to be targeting seats that they see as marginal and they see that they can win. And they're going to be doing this again and again over the next few weekends in the lead up to the election. And how traumatizing would it be for these families that somebody comes to their door, knocks on it and starts spouting bullshit. And then they go next door and do it, demonizing them, like to their neighbors and everybody else. And so in the something you can do idea, it is the be aware, be conscious of it, and be aware that your LGBTQIA neighbors, friends, family uh, may be going through yourselves as well, may may have to deal with this and may be going through this and may need support and love. Yeah. As well as, you know. I'll be ready ready if one of these dickheads uh, groups shows up on your door. Absolutely. Don't just be like, no, I'm not interested. Thank you. Close the door. No, call them on it. Say, yeah. Are you going door to door demonizing our trans, well, our trans community, our LGBTI people? Where do you get this hateful ideology from? Where do you think that it's okay doing that? Do you knock door to door demonizing Jews and Muslims and Christians? Like, are there other groups that you feel like spreading hate door to door? Absolutely. What kind of freaks are you? What is wrong with you people? You should be ashamed of yourselves. Stop doing what you're doing right now. You've already caused enough damage today. Go home. Think hard about what you're doing with your lives. You are terrible people doing an evil thing. Stop. For the love of God, stop. And then as they walk up the street and continue doing it, you're like, can you believe these absolute tosspots? Absolutely. <laughs> everybody, oh. everybody, don't listen to it. You know, these people are spreading hate, but the rest of us aren't like that. Don't listen to these dickheads. Oh my God, what a pack of assholes. Everybody, look, let's shut down what we were doing. We're going to follow these people and counter the crap that they're saying as they walk up the street spreading hate. I now kind of hope they do come to our neighbourhood. Well, look, if we weren't doing a podcast this morning, I would be tempted to go down to Narrow Warren just to... Because it's this is dangerous. This is like if the Ku Klux Klan was door knocking and going, you know, did you know that uh, the state Labor Party is willing to support uh, African-American people having uh, the same rights as you and I, uh, when we all know that they're actually not real? Uh, there's no such thing as an African-American person. Like, there's no such thing as a trans person. They're, they're, they're a magical construct. and they, but, but if they were real, they would be coming to harm you. So the important thing is that these imaginary people don't exist are coming to harm you uh, and don't vote Labour. Like, I feel like if the Ku Klux Klan was doing that, it's a confused message. I think they need to work on it. But I feel like the rest of us would turn around and go, no, we're not having those people marching up our bloody streets spreading that kind of stuff. No. And we would, because they're already well-established as the evil bastards they are, 
we would probably more turn around as a community immediately. Like they would have a, a, a mob following yeah. them very shortly. The ACL aren't in our community at that level yet, but they should be because that's what they're doing the same thing. And they are spreading hate. And it's a continuation of the hate they spread and the harm, not just the hate they spread, the harm and the damage that they spread from during the postal survey last year. And they're continuing to spread that harmony. Yeah. So... Everything I'm going to cover now, I have an actual audio for, except the one thing I don't have audio for is this story from, looks like a Fairfax paper, on the 3rd of November. The headline is, We're Heartbroken. Home in same family for 93 years passes in. Uh, and there's a picture of a, a boomer couple looking, uh, brave, putting a brave face on it. Vendors Brad and Christine Kerr put on a brave face after 17 Beresford Avenue Chatswood passes in on a vendor bid of $1.7 million. Oh, my goodness. Chris and Brad Kerr say they're heartbroken after the Californian bungalow in their family for 93 years passed in for what seemed a ridiculously low price. Just two bidders competed with a three-bedroom home on a 757-square-metre block at 17 Beresford Avenue, Chosewood, and agents couldn't get them to offer even $1,000 more than the vendor bid of a very reasonable... No, that's me, of $1.7 million. After the gavel fell, the agents managed to get the bid up to $1.67 million, but it was still way off the $1.75 million reserve. Yes, we are heartbroken, Mr. Kerr said. We expected to get something more reasonable this. This is garbage. Sorry, I, th- I think they've left out the bit there. He then picked up his toys, threw them in the corner and screamed at his mum, this is garbage. No, he couldn't because, of course... His, his mum has passed away and that's, that's right. why they have the house. Of course, it's been the family. They didn't buy this. Yeah. Mrs. Kerr, whose mother... Yvonne Foster had lived in the home up until four years. It's easy. No, oh, his, so his he... mummy may have been there to throw the t- toys at. Mrs. Kerr, whose mother, Yvonne Foster, had lived in the home up until four years ago when she moved into a nursing home. That sentence doesn't have a, a clause that completes it. But anyway, she passed away about a year ago. So, yes. Where do I send flowers? Yeah. Like, <laughs> my condolences, my, my thoughts and my prayers, where do, where do I send them? Because I feel really awful for these people. I did like the reporter. Maybe it was the Australian, actually. The, uh, Michael Rodden, who's the reporter at the Oz, uh, was quoting this saying, yes, Boomer's heartbroken after inheriting inner city house and getting only $1.7 million for doing absolutely nothing but having a mother who owned the house die. Yeah. What wow. a pack of entitled that- fucking assholes. Like... Surely this ordinary quarter-acre block house should be worth more than $1.7 million at least. I mean, what a fucking bargain. $1.7 million. What fucking planet do they live on? Um, Sadly, ours. Sadly, they live on our planet and they live in Australia. Where... And they own all the fucking property, these people. Yeah. That, it infuriates me. And it infuriates me that that, what was it, Domain that ran that article? I don't know. Because, because I only saw the Michael Rodden tweet of it, which had the image. Uh, I yeah, haven't actually no. ever seen it. I actually did see the article, but I forget where it was. I think it was Domain or something like that. Like, I realize, you know, it's a property pushing paper and they're trying to, you know, keep property prices up and keep the market interesting and, and vital. But like the idea that this is heartbreaking is horrifying. Well, Josh Frydenberg has been, and we mentioned him last week, but he's been, he's been tweeting about it this week too. He's trying to claim that Labor doing anything about negative gearing is going to both cause property prices to plummet and also push up your rents. And you're like, how does that make any sense? And in, in his, he put, I don't think it was the Financial Review, he had an article in yesterday. Do you know what his argument is for how house prices going down is going to push up rents? So he's not doing the, a lot of the idiots who, are, who argue this are me arguing that if investors pull out of the market, then the supply of rental properties will go down and therefore Therefore, um, when, you know, when supply something goes down, the price goes up. Except 
that argument is, of course, stupid because uh, either if a house stops being a rental property, it means that somebody is now living in it, which means that the demand has also gone down by exactly the same number of houses. They cancel out 100%. So it doesn't change the demand-supply comparison at all. But Frydenberg isn't running that argument, although he's kind of reverting to it for the people dumb enough to believe it. But no, his argument is that investors are willing to take lower rents because they're relying on getting capital gains later. So if you get take away the oh, capital so that's gains, why I've never had a rent increase. Yeah, yeah, really. Because it's not like fucking landlords gouge the market for as much as they can get away with and that every year you get a letter from the landlord saying, oh, well, because of uh, movement in the market, uh, rents in your area have now increased and we're going to jack up your rent. Yeah. It's not like people, like, for, for them to sell this, they must be oblivious uh, or they must think that renters are stupid because every renter is aware that A, their rent keeps going up under the Liberals, under the current regime. So for the Libs to be like, oh no, if we change it in any way, your rents will go up. They go up now, you dickhead. They've gone up enormously in the last 10 years as house prices have gone up because the people who've bought all the investment properties want to gouge us for the money. They haven't been able to gouge them as much. Rents have not gone up as much as house prices. But that's only because they couldn't, like you can't gouge rents that quickly because people can't pay them. Yeah. Well, and but they gouge them as much as they can get away with. Interestingly, there was a report yesterday in The Age that uh, just 118 new apartments were added to Victoria's pool of public housing last financial year, despite a waiting list of over 82,000 people, including 24,000 children, depart- uh, data from the Department of Health and Human Services shows. It's 96 family units and 22 older person units are created in the public housing se- sector. Thank goodness. It's so depressing. All right. For the rest of the episode, we have grabs of audio that um, back up. We have a plan. We have a plan. Now, the first thing we're going to play is actually the least important thing of all of them because I'm really bad at sizzle and prioritizing, you know, what's the the lost leader thing when you have something to get people in at the beginning? Oh, like the door door crashers? Instead of that, I'm just going to have this this bit of Scott Morrison with Alan Jones uh, the other week having a whinge about Malcolm Trumbull. Now, of course, they're very angry about Trumbull because the other thing we're not going to talk about this week because I could have grabbed audio from this, but I'm not going to because I don't want to promote this bullshit anymore but yes Turnbull was on Q&A on Thursday night he had his his hour to just whinge and talk about how great he was and how and, and the questions were things he like he saved the gays single-handedly oh, sorry the idea that Trumbull is like hey look we're the ones who were in government when it got passed you were the last people to you were the people stopping it everyone else had come around just because you're the last ones to go Oh, all right, fine. We've tortured them enough and we really can't think of another way of delaying it at this point. That doesn't make but you the first fucking we'll heroes. have a vote that will torture them a little bit more. Yeah, well, I mean, they don't get the credit for it, just being the last ones to pull, no. to, pull, to finally go, oh, okay. But they're like, but we're the ones who finally made it happen by being the last. Fuck off. And Trumbull, when that's right, when you... Rather than, rather than promoting it, you you put every obstacle you could Absolutely. in the, in the community's every single way, roadblock. and and dangerous ones like the community told you that you this was going to harm them, that having a public vote on their basic fucking humanity yes. was going to harm them, and well, and if you look at the numbers from Lifeline and Beyond Blue during that period, they show like massive spikes. They people you know anecdotally are reporting massive issues like it's it it was it's really harmful much. like and you they, you unleashed all this hate you, how many families were they wrecked by unleashing 
the the bigots and helping the bigots find other bigots and work together and oh look I'm not alone in my hatred of gay people I'll go and spread it you've you've unleashed the ACL to fight harder against LGBTI people um and and then then even when they lost you still agreed to give them a special inquiry to have more rights mm. to discriminate against LGBTI people you gave it to the guy who banned LGBTI like gay marriage in the first place Philip Ruddock. So you... we're not going to give Trumbull more airtime, but we are. Yeah, go fuck that guy. Uh, oh, but Alan Jones getting stuck into him is also ridiculously galling. So this is Alan Jones talking to Scott Morrison after Trumbull went to Indonesia and dared to discuss, because the Indonesians raised it with him, Scott Morrison's idiotic idea about moving the embassy, which is still a live issue now, moving the, the Australian embassy in Israel mm. from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which is an absolutely ridiculous thing to do with no benefits for Australia and entirely all downsides, uh, which has been the considered opinion of everyone on all sides of politics. It's been a bipartisan policy for, for a long time for a good reason. But apparently that doesn't, doesn't uh, influence uh, evangelical fundamentalists like Scott Bloody Morrison, who think, you know, well, sure, if it starts another war, Jesus will come for me. Anyway, Alan Jones interrogating his employee, Scott Morrison, on what he's going to do about that outrageous, whoever he was, Markham Turnbull. Have you pulled Mr Turnbull in and indicated that you don't support his repetition of the pronoun I and he was there to represent the views of government and the views he represented were in contradistinction to your own views as Prime Minister of Australia? Well, I got the report back um, from his his visit. He was there to actually attend an Oceans conference. Um, um, The issues of trade and other things were not really part of the brief. Uh, But that said, um, you know, look, Alan... And my view and our government's view about these issues are clear. They're our view. That's what we're pursuing. And uh, I'm always going to act with respect towards previous prime ministers, regardless of who they are. But I do think the exemplar of previous prime ministers about how they go about things post on our side of politics is obviously John Howard. And on the Labor Party side, it's Julia Gillard. Now, I don't think there's a lot of profit, Alan, in, uh, in me uh, continuing to go over these issues. All I know... Will there be more missions for this man to be able to go to and sprout his own discredited views? Uh, no. Right. Are you aware of the like that he entered on the Twitter account, Goes to Votes, because a, a, a tweet was put up which was laughing at the fact that in the latest opinion poll you had fallen, your ratings had fallen, and your predecessor liked that. Yeah, I'm aware of it, but I just brush it off. Good on you. Good on you. So if he doesn't want him using the pronoun I, is that because he's encouraging the use of the singular they? <laughs> I he's, he's very keen on, on, uh, on inclusive language, uh, Alan. Uh, I, well, I he, did, he did mention, when we were listening to him the other week argue with the woman from the Opera House, he did mention in his, in his apology that he has always been about inclusive behaviour and inclusion and equality. I just love the hate in me. This man and his discredited... Did you see he liked something on Twitter? Shout out to Ghost Two Votes on Twitter. I just love, love. He's talking about a former prime minister. Like this, he can't even say this man. I mean, Morrison's also a bit like that. He's like, no matter who they are. Anyway, the more concerning bit about Jones and Morrison was actually in relation to the fair dinkum power thing that we were talking about last week. So this crab is from September, and this is where the fair dinkum power thing came from, and it comes from apparently, according to the MediWatch Digback, an interview where Jones 
was questioning Morrison on how he can sell his power ideas. And uh, in that interview, Jones wasn't uh, satisfied with his current terminology. And Morrison came out with the feeding a power thing. And he was like, yeah, it's okay, good, you can use that. And Morrison then promptly ran away using it everywhere immediately, like an hour later in Melbourne. Here's, here's the audio. I want more dispatchable power in the system. Yeah. Could you stop using the word dispatchable out there? They don't understand well, that. Real power, okay? Real power. Real fair dinkum real- power. Bingo! And within the hour, the PM was trying out his new slogan with Melbourne listeners on Neil Mitchell's morning show. We need more investment in what I call fair dinkum power. And again that night on A Current Affair. Fair dinkum power. And since then, the PM we call ScoMo has used no other. So, yeah, apparently he just means dispatchable power and he likes to pretend... He actually says it in relation to not being solar or wind or something. Well, he does. He says, we need power available when the sun's not shining and the wind's not blowing. What do I mean by fair income? Stuff that works when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. The, that's the reliable power that we need in our system. Like, like that doesn't mean that those power sources still work because they still fucking have batteries. And... Oh, I know, I know, in storage systems. What I love is that I had said last week that there was some person working in Scomo's office who Scomo's office who was so proud of themselves for coming up with that and do using that term, and now we can't even say that there's one clever person in his office, which really well that kind of makes sense. The the other bit that's going about that and, and it fits in, while we're just dealing with bloody Alan Jones is the way that he's trying to shop the um, conservatives' bullshit lines for them because here he is with Josh Bloody Frydenberg. If you own your home, it will be worth less. If you rent your home, it will cost you more. This is cradle to the grave taxes from the Labor Party. As I said in the Parliament yesterday, Stop, Alan, stop, please. Can you just say that again? Just say that again, what these changes mean. If you own your home... It's worth less. Yep, and if, if you're you rent renting... your home, it's going to cost you more. That's it, full stop. And lo and behold, after this appearance on Alan Jones, where Alan coaches him is with his, you know, uh, his mentoring fee, I'm sure, is getting charged to the party. That's what Frydenberg's been saying about Labour's policy about grandfathering negative gearing. That if you rent, you're going to pay more. If you own, you're going to earn less. Uh, he's also saying, he, in his tweet the other day, because he was like, it's going to take, take money away from 1.3 million Australians. Well, first of all, uh, it's grandfathered. So if you're already investing, uh, it won't affect you at all, other than your house price, I suppose. Otherwise, uh, other than that you won't have as many investors coming in to push your price up more. Yes. So it'll affect your ability to make more money by owning the shit. Yes. Sure. But you won't be paying any more tax. Uh, and he did. He's like, 1.3 million uh, Australians are investors who have investment properties and you know there's 50,000 teachers and 40,000 police and 10,000 and or emergency workers and 10,000 you know there were like three sympathetic professions but they still only added up to like 100,000 or so or 120,000 out of the 1.3 million like so who are the 1.2 million that you don't want to tell us about pretty much it's interesting that they chose teachers this time because usually they choose school principals well, I probably mean the same people. Like, yeah. principals are still teachers. That's true. So, like, th- that's right. Teachers makes it sound more... Like, they deliberately... It's like saying the thing where they say, you know, most people uh, who negatively gear have taxable incomes of under 80,000. They don't have actual incomes under 80,000. They have taxable incomes after yeah. under 80,000 because they negatively gear their real incomes down to under 80. The language is very important. It's shameless. Like, trying to pretend that poor people, ordinary workers can buy an investment property is fucking it's like you know one of those conferences that, that you that, that investment conference sort of bullshit where you go along and somebody tries to so that you too can have an investment property if you sign up to this deal 
Ugh, nasty. Alan Jones isn't the only sort of radio station that Scott Morrison will go on, though. He, he might go on a radio station with actual journalists, uh, although I'm not really sure who he'd have to go on to have somebody actually call him on, say, some of the bullshit about refugees. The Guardian? The Guardian would probably call him on it. But and, they don't and, have a radio station. No. Imagine if he went on the Guardian podcast. I would like to see that. He could come on our podcast. <laughs> Yeah, no, he can. I, I mean, I'd be more than... More than sorry, I, uh, we probably have to call it like something after an FM station. He's really only going on the, you know, like, can we? could we be... Um, Hot hits me, we say. Yeah, no, 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 we need to have... You know, it's always got to be like Fitzy Whipper and, I don't know, the big dog. Bobo. <laughs> yeah, what would we be? Lefty Prego and the baby. Or Lefty Prego and the noisy cats. Yeah, okay. Scom, big Sco, do you want to come on Lefty, Prego, and the big cats? Noisy cats. Noisy big cats. Well, Max is a big cat. He's like That's three true. cats glued together. That's true. There's a reason why he only wants to go on those stations, and it's because he gets this sort of coverage from them. Mm. Mate, Prime Minister, you, see, you strike me as a pretty dandelion sort of bloke, and I just want to ask a really straight question with a dandelion answer if we can. How can you make it cheaper for mums and dads to pay all the bills that we face these days? What, what are you doing about that? Sure- well, to make sure the electricity companies can't take them for a ride and use the regulations and laws to their advantage. Mm. I mean, they, they benefit from a pretty restricted um, uh, market um, and they get a, they get a, a rails run okay. and they've been getting it for a long time. And so what we're doing is changing the laws to make sure that it's harder for them to do that mm-hmm. and uh, putting pressure on them to take the prices down. Mm. I mean, the, the, the system has been rigged a bit too long in their favour. And that's why we're changing the laws to try and even it up and make sure that the consumers get a better get a better go. Yeah. What about petrol? I mean, it's 40 bucks for a quarter of a tank these days. For a minute there, there was a sort of a naive, optimistic part of me that was thinking, hey, look, this guy, you know, he's interviewing the Prime Minister. He probably wants to actually do something useful with that opportunity. So... Even though he gave him this incredibly softball, gentle, friendly opening about, oh, you know, you seem great. You, know, you want to do something about these things. What are you going to do? But then when all Morrison said was a bunch of absolute bullshit, being the same things that all the parties were going to do that the ACCC recommended a long time ago, uh, and that really is only a sort of a stopgap and doesn't address the overall problems, yep. I thought maybe the journalist was going to, you know, the guy was going to call back and say, hang on, Scott, but what about these things? You know, is that really realistic? You know, people, you've been in government now for five years. Why would people believe that it's suddenly going to happen now? And you and, haven't used the word fair income yet. <laughs> and, but, but weirdly and sadly, no. No, he's no. just like, oh, yeah, okay. Next question. Next <sighs> softball question where we, yeah. It... Oh, did you see, hear the start of it? I'll play you the start bit. I didn't even know you were 50. I actually thought you looked a bit younger. And I'm not well, even trying I... to suck up to you. <laughs> Well, I think you're wonderful. <laughs> All right, now Hello, we're going to ask a hard now. question. Hang now, here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> well, I think you're wonderful. <laughs> yeah, they started with a, did you have a great 50th birthday back in May? Now, that interview actually has the, the worst, the most sleazy thing that I've heard from Scott Morrison this week. And there's been quite a few. Well, based on the sound of the response to him being like, oh, you're okay for thinking I'm young. I know he's going full blokey at the moment, like shoving a meat pie in his face and he's... Smashing back a cup of beer at the insert sport event here and then putting the empty cup on his head. Yeah. I didn't think that Morrison was going to go, 
hey, you know what's blokey? Being a sleaze. But he does it in this one where they're talking about Pamela Anderson has made a plea to the government about several things, but one of them being that we treat citizen Julian Assange as a citizen the country has some responsibilities towards. Well, she also suggested that we should bring him back and have a parade for him. Yes. Well, look, the WikiLeaks thing was important and breaking the collateral murder video, like those sorts of things needed to come out. The fact that Assange is such a dickhead about everything else. Yes. And that he's been such an asshole since as well. Yeah, and then he did he also did a bunch of evil shit with it as well. But yes. that's but that's not the stuff that Australia is angry about. Australia's not angry about the evil shit that, that Assange did. We're we're angry with him about the good things that he did. Anyway. The point pa- is that Scott Morrison makes a funny, funny joke about Pamela Anderson. Yeah. We've actually got Pamela Anderson, Pamela Anderson asking here. you, was this on, uh, this was on 60, minutes 60 Minutes last night? night? Have a listen to this, Prime Minister. Defend your friend and get Julian his passport back and, and take him back to Australia and be proud of him and throw him a parade when he gets home. Uh, you want to throw him a parade? Well, <laughs> no, first of all. But sec- I've had plenty of mates have asked me if they could be my special envoy to sort the issue out um, oh, yeah. with, with Pamela Anderson. But, but putting... Putting, putting that to one side, um, the serious issue is now our position on that on that hasn't changed. <laughs> He's like, there's this, from the bloke, there's a sleazy, yeah. yeah. And the woman goes, <laughs> It's gross. It is gross. It is. Hey, my mate. It is so inappropriate. My mates are all volunteering because, you know, Pamela Anderson. Yeah. Oh, God. Baywatch. Uh-huh. Oh, That's just... the Prime Minister. So a person who is an American simply named Pamela Anderson, has made a request on a political issue and he can't help himself by making schoolboy tittering jokes about how hot she is and his mates want to, see, to meet with her. Isn't it great? That's our Prime Minister. Isn't it great? And then they wonder why we have this culture and this attitude where sexual harassment and is just so ingrained in our culture and our system that people are like, oh, it couldn't have happened, it couldn't have done. It's just boys will be boys. That was just a good old boys comment. Seriously, I haven't actually seen much coverage of how nauseating that was, and I don't think even it was even called him on it. In fact, even the SBS coverage about Anderson making that request had to clarify in the story whether she was sleeping with Assange or not. <sighs> you know, she's apparently not sleeping with him. So why is that an... What, what, what's that? If she was his partner, okay, that would be a relevant thing to put in there. Otherwise, it isn't. Their sex life is irrelevant. Why are you even telling us about it? Why are you speculating? Is it the fact that because men have found Pamela Anderson attractive for the rest of her life, every single time she says or does anything, it has to be undermined with a... Like to sleep with her, pretty much, and it's 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 a gross thing about masculine culture, and uh, it's revolting that he's the prime minister. Also, Pamela Anderson's Canadian, not American. I'm just saying oh. she's Canadian. Okay, actually, I was going to play the the scummo bus bit later, but it kind of really fits while he's doing his bullshit tour of Queensland. So Morrison is, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody's already heard this. He's got his giant bus, uh, in which he's done his like third signature in ten years on the side. Apparently, he's like he's look. I'm not saying that people who practice a bunch of different signatures are planning on committing some kind of large-scale financial fraud. But he was a terrible treasurer, uh, and he does now have a signature that, or that he signs on the side of buses that seems to say slow-mo. I'm not saying... Anyway. Just that he's actually gone with the ScoMo as a signature is... Anyway. Yes. Like, imagine making your signature ScoMo. What? Anyway. And also, look, yes, you need to make your Cs look less like Ls if you're going to do that. 
Anyway, so he's got his bus. The bus is driving around Queensland at Australian taxpayers' expense because the Liberal Party aren't paying for it, and it's clearly a giant campaign bus. Yeah, it's got nothing about the Australian government on it. It's all just Liberal Party slogans and shit. But Morrison isn't on it. He's flying. So there's a bus that he's having driven around the country to meet him at airports and things, but mainly he's flying there earlier and travelling in other modes of transport because the bus can't get there as quickly enough. So why have the bus at all? Does it make any sense? So that doesn't make sense to reporters because here are the reporters questioning you about it and here are his ridiculous answers, which people have likened to a Clark and Door sketch, except it's not actually funny. Prime Minister, you're on the bus tour. Yeah. Why are you flying? Well, the bus is going all the way up to Rocky and then it's... Uh, and that's, that's where it was always planning to go. I mean, it's a big state and I need to cover as much of it in four days as I can. So we were never planning to take the bus to Townsville. Um, we'd always planned to take that last leg up to Townsville by plane uh, because that was the most effective way to get there and to spend the most time there with people on the ground. I mean, these visits aren't about sitting on a bus. They're about actually engaging with small businesses and our supporters and, and the people of Queensland and listening to them. So and, uh, the bus? Because it gets me from A to B. Will you be taking but the bus, the bus to Rockhampton to from here? Yes. The bus will be going to Rockhampton from here. But That's right. I've got to get there earlier than the bus tonight. So you'll be flying to Rockhampton? I'll get into Rockhampton tonight, and I'll be, uh, I've got a, a program tonight in Rockhampton. The bus can't get me there quick enough, okay, so, so I've got to fly. you to Rockhampton, the bus will catch up with you, and then you'll fly on and you, Townsville? And you, I'll be flying on the Townsville, and your point is what? Uh, I'm just interested in the point of the bus if you're not on it. I am on it. I just got off it. I'm on the but bus not right on to now. Rockhampton or Townsville? Yeah, well, it's a practical thing. I want to spend as much time on the ground with Queenslanders. And when, I, and, and when I can get, when I can be on the bus and go from place to place on the bus, that's great. But I'm not going to sacrifice time with Queenslanders, listening to them and hearing them and talking to them about what's important to them just to satisfy the media's interest in the timetable for the bus. Well, the front fell off. I, <laughs> it's a... Uh... Look, the bus is made of very. It's, it's got very rigorous uh, road engineering standards. Exactly, there's and a, and we need a minimum to... crew requirement, and that's the one guy who's driving it. Yeah, and 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 we need we need to have Catter the hat. bus. Like it looked like Bob Catter was driving. Because well, he's like he's a he's a fair dinkum Queenslander. Seriously, and they're like, why do you have the bus? Because it gets me from A to B. Are you travelling to Queensland on the bus? No, I'm flying. So it doesn't get you from A to B. What if you need a mode of transport? I was on the bus. I just walked off the bus. You saw me walk off the bus. I need to be in Queensland early. Then you don't need the freaking bus. No, no, I travel on the bus. I just got off the bus. When you fly to Queensland and the bus isn't there yet, then you're not going to get on the bus, right? You're going to have to get a different mode of transport, right? Well, no, because I need to be on the ground with Queenslanders and we are spending a stupid amount of money both on this bus and on flights for me. And I don't want you questioning me. <laughs> I'm not going to answer people's questions. You know, the media interest in this bus that I've pointlessly spent taxpayer money on that I'm barely going to drive in. If they just want a moving... Well, if they don't have a billboard, then just pay for a freaking billboard. But then I suppose then they probably can't get the same uh, amount back from the Commonwealth. I don't think the Commonwealth... Like, they have a fixed election budget, and I think yeah. they can probably claim the bus as a prime ministerial travel issue, whereas they can't... You know, if they do, Whereas what it really is is a mobile billboard. Because, I mean, he can have a car... There are cars in all the places he's flying oh, absolutely. to. They don't need to drive a bus to but the. But then he couldn't have his picture on it and his new cool new signature, his in, new Scomo. In which case, we're basically just paying for a billboard to be driven around the place, in a way which he, which they wouldn't be able to do. If they just pay for billboards, just you know, on yes. a on a 
just stand there. Oh, good old slow-mo. What if it's corrupt bullshit? Now, the next bit of audio I wanted to play you was in relation to a discussion that we had about selling the benefits of some action on climate change uh, since that we are now in the glorious position that it is actually better for... You don't actually have to sacrifice your... by paying more energy costs for having renewable energy. It's actually both... It's both economical and good for the environment. We are in a place where actually having renewable energy will benefit you. So the fact that Scott Morrison's current pitch is... You know, I'm worried about your cost of living pressures, and I'm going to get energy down. Um, and he doesn't have any plan to do that, other than he claiming that that you know whatever. As long as what we do is really bad for the environment, makes lefties bad, it must be cheap. When you later find out that it's not cheap, well, at least it was bad for the environment and made the angry lefties angry. And and isn't that really what's important? Absolutely. Anyway, the bit that was infuriating me because I was saying, look, we need to be better at ignoring, stopping trying to pretend that people who are not already on board are motivated by the long-term picture and about the principle of it. People are motivated by the hip pocket. And we should take advantage of the fact that we have a message to sell them, which is actually what we're pitching is good for your hip pocket as well. So given that, it was incredibly infuriating hearing this interview with Kelly O'Shaughnessy from the Australian Conservation Foundation uh, in a recent podcast on The Guardian with Catherine Murphy, where Murphy gave O'Shaughnessy the, the, the lead-in of what's changed is that we now know that uh, the public are re- very much responding to the retail politics of your hip pocket from the energy prices and that's uh-huh. how Abbott killed the carbon price and O'Shaughnessy's response I found extremely depressing. But where Abbott turned the carbon pricing debate against Labor was turning it into a cost of living issue. He turned it away mm. from an environment, an issue of the environment and an environmental stewardship and climate change action into a hip pocket issue and that's where the debate turned that was so you know it's it's the difficulty of this issue is that we repeat and we repeat and repeat Mm. these cycles Mm. and we're in a similar cycle with the coalition now luckily uh, actually one thing has changed since then which is clean energy is now cheaper than a new coal plant so the economics are on the side although god if we are running this, if we if we think about only economics when it comes to solving climate change, we are going to be stuffed, because cl- solving climate change might be affordable for clean energy, but it's not going to be cheap. And we've got all of the agriculture and transport and industry. We've got all these big things we need to do. Um, we can build a stronger economy, and in fact, if you don't act, our economy is going to be tanked anyway. Mm. But. I am a little bit over politicians only thinking through the economic prism. They kind of forget that we live on a planet and that provides everything and society then runs an economy to transition goods and services. I know it's more complicated mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. But that's why we're trying to talk through climate damage being here now and talking about a lot. Um, I'm sure the National Press Club has never had love as much in the speech as I mentioned it because for the people that we love and the places that we love, we know that works really well with the hearts and minds of Australians. And if they look at their kin in the eye and know that their vote can make a difference in their lives, with climate change or not, we think we can get more people supporting parties that have stronger climate policies. I get why the, the imperative of building ground up. I totally get that because you you guys have kicked around these policy debates in Canberra Forever. for well thirty years, mm. like thirty years mm. basically through all the iterations of this debate. You've worked these corridors extensively over a long period of time, and the story sadly has been some progress but a lot of disappointment. So her last 
point is a valid one. The last point of selling that you are protecting your children and your grandchildren is a good one. And if someone's sort of wavering and on the fence, you know, the idea that that, that the love for this next generation, like, look this kid in the eye, and, and that's not a bad point. But the fact that they keep moving away and specifically say, oh, we have to stop focusing on the money, when it's specifically, like, for years we've been told that renewables are going to cost more. And so that's what people have in their head. And so people are already pissed off about their power bills. They, there are these brownouts happening. There is, you know, what, what do we do about uh, insecure energy supply? Oh, it, and it's going right to Right for blaming more. that on renewables, which is, which is wrong. All of that's lies, but we have to counter those lies. And the thing is, people are driven by that. It's lovely to be... Shouldn't be driven by your hip pocket, but people fucking are. Everyone's driven by our hip pocket. We are... I look at our budget and our expenses and I look at how much of it comes out in power bills and it can be horrifying, absolutely. It is terrible at the moment. The, the, the point that is persuasive to me uh, is that I am aware that any method of getting it down in long term has to be on renewables and that that's actually what will get them down. And that everything that the Liberals promise you, like we'll just burn more freaking coal, doesn't work, as you can see from our power bills going up after they cancel the carbon tax. Exactly. Turns out that wasn't what was pushing up our bills. Had nothing to do with it. And so, like, given that that is such a huge motivating factor, and we saw that because, hey, Kelly, the Liberals got in on the anti-carbon tax thing. They won on it. It worked. Your campaign didn't work. What will work is countering that and turning around and saying, no, actually, renewables are what's cheaper. So don't be... This be where... It was just like listening to her do that. Solving climate change might be affordable for clean energy, but it's not going to be cheap. Um, We can build a stronger economy. And in fact, if you don't act, our economy is going to be tanked anyway. Mm. But... That sort of thing right there, where it's like this good thing, this easy to sell message, this message that will resonate with people, but it's not as pure as I'd like it. So, but the drawbacks, but which like... That's not how you win a campaign. Like you no, have to- you actually have to to market something, you have to actually sell something to someone. The biggest thing that they that they're worried about and your solution to it, which happens in, you have a good this one is really should be easy to sell, but they're so reluctant they're like oh, if we have to sell the economics, the positive economics that people are going to like, but that's not as nice as I prefer the purity version. Yeah. And that's lovely and and that's really great, but we do need to sell it and it does need to be marketed. And selling to people's hip pocket is important because it also counters the argument that's being made currently and that has been made for over a decade. And I'm pretty sure that anybody who is going to be susceptible to the environmental message of we need to protect the planet is already on side. Absolutely. They're, they're, they're on side. The people you need to pitch are the ones who, who are being a bit selfish, which is, hey, guess what? They're human beings. They're selfish. Those people can come back because in this case you've got the right thing to sell. Them. Exactly, you, you don't have to. Have... You don't have to compromise. It's not even like the, you have to let the perfect be the, en- perfect be the enemy of the good. In this case, like it, both are the same thing. And that's exactly it. You already have the people on your side who know that this is bad for the environment. You already have the people on your side who know that our planet is dying. You already have these people on your side. The people you need on your side are those people who are on the fence, who are looking at it, going, "Yeah, you know, it'd be nice to go to renewables, maybe, but I can't afford it." Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of those borderline people who are going to... There is a reason Scott Morrison's going for for cost of living at the moment as being his pitch, because he knows that everybody's pissed off with cost of living. Now, the idea that Scott Morrison... The idea that the the Liberal Party will uh, benefit the cost of living for anyone but the richest is preposterous. 
the idea that the people who have made it worse for the rest of us, that we've got low wages because they've done everything in their power to suppress wages. Yeah, they, how many times has he voted against uh, penalty rate increases? Well, he, voted, he voted to cut them. Oh, and he's voted. But he's, oh, uh, but, but the bottom line is that the liberals, the whole their whole policy. I mean, they're. The, on the employer side, they're not on the union side. The union side wants low, low wages up. The employer side wants wages down. The liberals have worked hard to suppress your wages. They're not low as an accident, despite the liberals. They're low after five years because of the freaking liberals. They're doing it deliberately. This is—it's not a conspiracy theory that the that that their campaign in favour of the people opposed to high wages has had that effect. You are not struggling with cost of living pressures in spite of liberals. They've been in government for five years. The idea that, that they can then campaign that they'll do something about the cost of living when they've had five years and have done nothing is extraordinary. That, that, that is a laughable campaign. And the left should be turning around and, and taking it right back because cost of living is genuine. That is a huge motivating factor for lots of people right now. Yeah. But huge cost of living increases have come in things like housing, which is entirely due to the Liberals' policies. Oh. And everything they propose to do will make that worse. And low wage growth, which is entirely the Liberals' policies. Weakening unions is one of the major reasons. And they make sure that, they, that the public services is kept suppressed, which is one of the ways that wages gradually bleed through, go up and bleed through the economy. They've done everything in their power to keep wages low, to keep cost of living high, for, you know, housing costs high. And in relation to energy, they're the ones who have resisted renewables, which their own modelling from 2013, which we've seen multiple times, showed that the higher the percentage of renewables in the mix, the lower power prices in the medium to long term. So yes. our prices would have gone down, they'd be on a downward trajectory if they hadn't destroyed the carbon yes. price. And if they had encouraged, yeah, continued to encourage the investment that was happening in renewables. That's exactly right. They have All of these sorts of living pressures can be sheeted right home to their door and the left should be doing a much better job of... Calling bullshit, and and so should the media. By the way, the media. Anytime Scott Morrison starts claiming that he's the man who's doing something about cost of living, the media shouldn't be just letting that through to the keeper. They should be saying, "Hang on, hasn't cost of living com- compared with wages gone up dramatically under your prime minister? Sorry, not under your prime ministership because you've only been prime minister for five minutes, but under your your party's time in office." How can you be saying that you're going to do something about cost of living when you support all of the industrial relations laws that keep wages low? Absolutely. When your party are the ones who have stopped renewables. But they're going to cut taxes for small businesses who make up to $50 million. And then they'll they'll magically increase wages, except there's no evidence that that has ever happened. Small businesses. Yes. Well, turnover of $50 million, not not profits, but yeah. Small. (laughs) Yes. Well, look, I'm sure they're going to come and help us, mum and dad podcasters, any day. Absolutely. Um, so, all right, we better do Australia versus Humanity because this bit from this week, uh, it looks like it was an event either sponsored by Lifeline or, or launching some Lifeline program or something. But Scott Morrison talking about his approach to refugees. Now, I will play you shortly um, some infuriating coverage in the... You know, there's a Guardian Australian Politics podcast. There's an ABC one. The ABC one's called The Party Room with Fran Kelly and Patricia Cavellas, who I'm sure a large proportion of the commentariat would call lefties for daring to be the ABC. Um, but their fairly centrist approach well, to most issues. So in this particular case, uh, in fact, I will play. I'll play this before I play the Scott Morrison audio. So this is um, them talking about Morrison's announcement last week about that, that he'll get the children off now by Christmas. You'll notice in here... They're very quick to believe him and to take him at his word. I can't detect in any of this any journalists going, 
Although I can understand people being sceptical, given the history. And then partway through, I'll, I'll jump cut to the bit where they're talking about how the fact that the children have been on there for five years is actually a plus. Because it means that when we got them off now, that won't be too much of a pull factor to the people smugglers, which is a big problem, because at least they've been there for five years. These are supposedly lefties. And the big news, as we record this podcast, the good news, the very good news, is that the Morrison government has decided that all children will be brought off Nauru before Christmas. And clearly, I guess, a result of growing community disquiet and unease about the fact that these kids have been there now for five years, uh, many of them born there. And uh, I think in particular that campaign by Australian doctors to pressure the government to do this for medical reasons, it's all had a big impact, wouldn't you say, Pico? Oh, of course it has. Also, of course, there's a reason for wanting to do it quietly, and I think this is a valid reason, which is you don't want to telegraph this to people smugglers. Yeah, that's right. And as long as they keep, I suppose, hitting the five-year thing, you'd hope that that might counter any kind of pull factor that comes from having bringing a kid with you. You'll get to come to Australia. Well, you've got to spend five years on the roof first. Yeah, that was Frank Kelly suggesting that leaving a child on our roof for five years, you know, had a, had a good outcome. Well, it's interesting because I'm just looking at some reports that have come out about the people who have been brought over, including Nauru-based siblings who were transferred to Sydney last week um, after more than four years of being separated from their parents and sister, but they remain in Villawood Detention Centre instead of being put into community detention with their family. Yeah, and that, there's nothing in there where Fran or Patricia bothered to query where are those children going? Um, an Iranian family has been split between Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, a Lebanese mother and daughter who came to Melbourne for medical treatment a month ago are in community detention, but another daughter of hers and her son are in the emergency immigration transport detention still. And that a lot of people are being kept in hotels. They're saying that it's temporary until they work out community detention because they've had to speed this up, but, you know, they're being locked into hotel rooms. So they're being taken off Nauru, but they're being put into detention centres, sometimes split from family who are already here and already are in community detention, or they're being locked in hotel rooms. So great, we're getting them off Nauru, but we're still keeping them in detention. We're still trapping them. We're still, we're not actually making the situation better for them in a lot of ways. Well, they're not free. They're not yeah. like, these are children. They should be getting, they shouldn't just be shoved in some kind of, an imprisonment even in a hotel room is still an imprisonment. I guess being in Australia where they can get medical care is better than being on Nauru where they can't. Here's an interesting number. The Australian Department of Home Affairs has spent at least 780000 since July last year responding to court applications for urgent medical transfers and is still continuing its legal challenge to the federal court's jurisdiction to hear cases. Yeah. So like any every child that's come here it's been in spite of him not because of him. $780,000. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that could be used to better the life of people in community detention or in already here in the community. Uh yeah. But this is what gets me about the whole thing. Anyone who's complaining about people smugglers needs to be very clear what they're complaining about. If they are complaining about people endangering people's lives at sea. So that's certainly a bad thing. And there's a way to deal with that. And I'll come to that in a second. If they're complaining about people bringing people safely when they arrive safely, uh, and then they impugn the integrity of our borders because they bring them to apply for refuge here, as you're entitled to do under the Refugee Convention because the manner of your border entry is irrelevant. Mm. The point of being a refugee is that you are allowed to flee where you need to go, and when you get there and you apply, the government can't penalise you because you came in in an unorthodox way. The idea of making that a crime to cross the border is profoundly cruel and insane. But anyway... 
But he, actually, Scott Morrison is being a good person because he is actually helping people because he's ensuring that the Border Force agents do not have to pull dead children from the water if a boat crossings attempt started again. So he's protecting people. He's protecting those dead children, potential dead children, and those Border Force agents forced to... I'm going to have to play his audio, aren't I? I'm, just, I'm going to play his audio in a minute with a bit where he, where he feigns concern and so forth. And he spreads, and, and he does his bullshit things, and I'll, I'll say them in advance so you can be infuriated when he says them, but the bit about Labour put pregnant women uh, in on Manus Island and we've stopped doing that. Yeah, because you drag them out to sea. Yes, they're much safer when you get a boat and you turn it back to sea. Or if you do get a pregnant woman on Manus, you send her to Australia and leave her partner in on the island and don't allow him to ever come here. Yeah, but, but no, well, I mean, at least in that, which is monstrous, but they do worse than that in terms of intercepting people. And this line, oh, I don't want people being fished from the sea. So you drag them back to sea. Mm. How are they not in danger from the sea when you drag them back to sea? And then if they go on different trip, they take different parts of the sea because you've you've got this ring of steel to block them through. They go somewhere else. They still drown at sea. Oh, but then, but then it's not a border force agent pulling the children out of the That's water, right. so it's fine. The problem is the border force agent doing it, not the child in the water. Oh, I see. Also... The ones, even the ones that you would successfully deter into staying in danger, they're not safe. They fucking die there. Like this idea that they have that, that stopping boats arriving in Australia has stopped deaths is just farcical. And anyone who claims mm. to believe it is is either fooling themselves or they just haven't thought it through or they're stupid. Just in terms of people smuggling people, there is nothing evil about smuggling people to seek refuge. There's certainly something evil about smuggling people for, I don't know, slavery, or there's there's evil types of people smuggling, but people smuggling per se, where, where all you're doing is getting a person across a border where they need to be for to exert a genuine right, such as a refugee, that isn't evil at all. Yeah. There is something, something to say about, you know, demanding all of their money and everything like that. Well, exactly. Often money that they but don't have. have. But why does that happen? Why does it happen? Because we've criminalised it. Yes. Basically, what we've done is we've turned people smuggling into a thing that only criminals do. Yes. In which case, the problem isn't people smuggling it's making it a freaking crime it's the policy that we have same same with the boats the fact that the boats are all dangerous boats isn't because that is something that a people smuggler would have to do if we weren't doing that it's because we destroy all the boats so of course they send disposable boats we imprison all the crews so of course they send disposable crews we've done everything in our power to make sure that anyone who sends a boat does them does it in the most dangerous way possible and then we pretend that we're concerned about the lives of the people on board no we're not if we were concerned about it we would be letting the the boats come through we would be taking the people off them and and continuing them safely Mm. to australia and we would then be prosecuting anyone who ran an unsafe boat not for helping people get here but for the crime of running an unsafe boat. We would be imprisoning crews who ran boats unsafely. We were treating people differently depending on whether or not they were doing it safely or dangerously rather than what we're currently doing, which is encouraging them to do it dangerously. Yeah, we could do proper processing in in, in Indonesia. We could actually have, you know, we could do all sorts of things to, to, we could let people onto planes. It's almost like the only reason we don't do that is because that's actually none of it is the genuine reason. The real reason is that we hate the foreigners coming here and we're being racist. Like, if you're not racist... If you're not afraid of the refugees arriving here safely, then there are a million things we could do to save their lives. Yep. We could go to some of the long-standing refugee camps that are set up in Africa and uh, other places and actually... But we do do a small amount of that. uh, We could do more. Oh, yeah, we could do more. But fundamentally, though, the idea that we get... The the idea that, that... there is some kind of affront to us if, you know, the neighbor runs next door to a neighbor from next... neighbor who we didn't say could come into our house but some runs across um, and seeks our refuge because their house is on fire 
that's an affront. You didn't ring us in business hours and make an appointment. Like, no, fuck off. We're but human beings. This is a thing that we should be we should be pleased that somebody ran to us and thought that we were good, compassionate people from whom they could seek refuge. We yes. should take pride in being the people who give refuge, not the people who throw up our hands and, and scream and make a motive flaming crocodiles because we don't want to have the have anybody come set our own house on fire so that person doesn't run away from their house on fire look if we make our country if make our house really shit nobody will try and seek refuge here we should take it as a positive when people want to come here and most refugees are in camps in the dangerous places of the world right near where they fled from and they're not trying to come here the ones who people have crossed the world to come here are like really good citizens by the way this bit of country shopping which we'll hear in the scott morrison audio in a second um you have a look at the – just Google Refugee Convention and look at the map of signatories uh, on Wikipedia that has a map of the signatories. You will notice that between Afghanistan and here is a big grey swipe all the way through Southeast Asia, through or through the bottom of the Middle East, South Asia, India, all the way through to Australia, where the countries are not signatories to the convention. They're not fucking country shopping, Scott. They're – coming to a country that is a member of the convention and they don't have to go anywhere near countries that are members on the way because most of the countries between aren't. Mm. Anyway, we are, meanwhile, sorry, on the issue of uh, what we're doing to these people, still giving them that document, that, that release of custody document. So if you want to be resettled, for example, in... Well, this one's actually for Thailand, but the similar one for America, you have to sign a release of custody agreement. Declaration of Biological Parents... By fixing my our signatures on this form, I, we, hereby agree to relinquish custody of our my, our minor children or child listed below and authorise that said minor children will, in this case, oh no, this, one, this one's travel to and resettle in the United States or stay in this camp, and they list the children. They'll remain in the care of these people. I, we fully understand that by signing this agreement, the non-custodial parent will not automatically be able to seek reunification with my slash our children, and this may mean permanent separation we say in this statement voluntarily and we will not hold the United States government responsible for the action and decision we're about to take today. And, and excuse me while I vomit. So we're making parents. Now, weirdly, um, I've never heard, I haven't heard any of the pro-family, the people groups who call themselves pro-family. Yeah, yeah. I see the Australian Christian lobbies, those sorts of people. We haven't seen them complain about our government for telling people they have to abandon their children. Funny that. But aren't they really pro-nuclear families? Like one mum, one dad. Every child deserves a mother and a father. Yeah. Almost like that's insincere Uh, bullshit. Unless unless they're not white and not wealthy, in which case we don't really care. Unless it helps us push one of our stupid prejudices. Anyway, let's now play the bit of scummo at this um, Lifeline lunch uh, this week. But uh, you you asked me about Nauru. Ever Ever since I took over the job as immigration minister many years ago, we set about the job of ensuring that there would be no children on Nauru. And that's what we've been doing ever since. For five years. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. You think about... I'm going to pause it there for a moment. It takes a long time to process somebody's refugee claim? Five freaking years? No, it doesn't. You deliberately slowed the department down when they're processing those claims. It does not take five freaking years. No, it does not. You could quite straightforwardly process, oh yes, those children do seem to have a reasonable fear of uh, persecution in or, or not in a... You should be able to do that in a few months. They should have been... Maybe six months. Maybe maximum a year. A year. Like, and that's at, like an out, outside, way outside curve. It takes five years. Bullshit. Well, what they have to do is they have to look at each case individually consecutively. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, they... And it's one person, and they're using pigeons, so they don't actually have like electronic records. They're sending carrier pigeons. No, no, it's to... important to send the people smugglers a message. It's through that that we will like ludicrously torture these children. We could do that if we did our jobs. Five years. It takes five years. Fuck off, Scott. Do you think about them? I mean, do you think about their mental health? Yeah, I, look, when I was immigration minister and when I was shadow immigration minister, people may have observed this about me. I'm someone who likes to go, right, and, they, and speak to people. So if I make hard decisions about things, I don't do it from some room in Canberra without having personally met with and looked in the eyes of people who are affected by my decisions. And I've done that on Nauru. I've done it on Manus Island. I've visited refugee camps all around the world. I've sat in the middle of a refugee camp in Myanmar with their, you know, thousands of Rohingya families, but also uh, Burmese refugees as well. And I've met them, and I've looked at their conditions. All right, I'm going to stop in there for a second, and I'll, I'll play some audio of Scott Morrison shouting at these people that they're all screwed and telling them some dumb lies about what the Refugee Convention allows and so forth, and telling them that they, you know, unless they can find a country that will take them, they're going back home. Which is weird, because when New Zealand offers to take them, we say, no, you can't. Like apparently there are prisoners. But it's an interesting philosophy. Is a person more or less evil if they make a cruel order to torture and harm people from behind a desk, or if they go there, look them in the eyes, and make an order to torture and harm vulnerable people by looking them in the eyes and not caring. I, I feel like one's more cowardly and one's more bullfacedly evil. <laughs> yeah, and he, I don't. He claims like I don't do it before. Uh, I, you know, I, before I make a decision like that, I look them in the eyes. No, when he will play. In fact, I'll, you know what? I will actually drop the relevant audio in and then come back to this Scott Morrison. So, uh, but he he clearly when he's talking to the people on Nauru, the refugees who he's, he's telling you're all doomed, doomed. I tell you. <laughs> God, he's like he's evil, like, like. I mean, that is about standards. You're not going to get into the evil league of evil if you don't work on your laugh. True. I mean, Death Horse had to work on his winning. <laughs> terrible Winnie. Death Winnie. <laughs> anyway, he's clearly saying this is our policy. Like when he's talking to them, he's decided on it before he talks to them. He's not like he goes and talks to them and like you know considers that when he's making his decision. He makes his decision cruelly at behind a desk, and then he's perversely fine with going and saying to people, you you can all burn in hell, you innocent people. Like, I don't know how he... I mean, he's just an awful person for him to be proud. Anyway, yeah, sorry, this is the audio of him doing this to them. Until you are resettled in a country other than Australia or you go to another country that you've been able to arrange. The new government has very strong policies that we are now implementing to and then the rest of that audio clip, by the way, which has been shared from The Guardian this week, has him telling a bunch of lies to the Nauru TV people about what the Refugee Convention allows and what oh, it doesn't and that it doesn't... And it doesn't country tell... shopping. Yeah, it doesn't like country shopping. Yeah, and no. we're not going to reward people for country shopping. They are allowed to go directly. They are allowed to directly leave their place and go to another place. They are not allowed to go any further or country shop, and Says that's him, what they're doing. Which is not true. There's no, no restriction on that in the Convention law. Also, that's absolute bullshit. that's really privileged for someone who lives in an island nation On the other say. side of the world. 
world. Yes. Like, oh, well, no, they didn't come here directly from. So what about the people who do come from like Vietnam and things like that? On a boat, we still treat yeah. them like shit. Yeah. So, but there's no exemption for like if you oh, if you even didn't... if they are directly coming and not country shopping. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, same Sri Lanka. Like I mean, the refugee convention is very clear on non-refoulement too, and we specifically send people back to Sri Lanka. Oh God. Uh, anyway, well, immediately arrested. And who well, let, let's go back to Scott Scummo this week at the Lifeline thing oh, because this this his, bit here, his where... heart, his heart, heartwarming and heart wrenching moments. Oh, he's a, he's not just a monster. He feels. You know, politics is not for the faint-hearted. And you've got to be prepared to understand and own and carry the burden of decisions. And you'll find yourself on your knees. You'll find yourself in tears. You'll find yourself wrestling with this tough stuff. You've been on your knees in tears. Of course I have. Why wouldn't I be? These aren't easy issues, Mike. And you've got to be prepared to go through that and expose yourself to the consequences of difficult decisions. Now, if you can't do that, do another job. Do another job. But this job is not for for people who can't confront this stuff. And you've got to make tough calls. Now, you don't get children off Nauru by putting more on. And I, probably more than any other, perhaps a few, have to deal with the consequences and understand what happens when a young border force officer or military officer has to pull a child face down from the water. Mm. We'll come back to consequences in a minute, although I noticed that the consequences he doesn't seem to see as being the impact on the lives of the people that he's breaking in these hell camps. He's just claiming that the consequences of not doing it are the bad ones. And, and, he, and again, as we can see, that's a total disingenuous bullshit because people are still drowning and the idea that yeah, the idea that the, the the worst thing would be if we had to be the people who did something about it. But anyway, what do you think about this idea of Morrison trying to be like, oh, I cry about it. I cry about it. Like, what, what is that? What is going on in his head at that moment? Because I find it really hard to picture him as a person who is... Maybe ace. someone punched him in the gut and so he <laughs> fell onto his knees and started crying or like a kid saw him and kicked him in the balls and that that's what happened. It's really hard to reconcile this idea of him as crying as if he recognises the tragedy to the human beings involved while with his actions, which is turning around to human beings involved and saying, I'm going to fuck up all of your lives. You people, you are going to be my hostages. I'm going to use you to send a message. I'm going to destroy you. And by the way, the message I'm using you for, the message I'm just letting you know, it's to make sure that the people, other people who flee refuge don't even think about doing it. They think they stay, they'll stay in some danger. Now, sure, I could do something about making the crossing safer. I could do something to make sure that people aren't being dragged from the sea. I could do something to process you before you got here. I could do something to allow you to fly here. I could do so- a million things. Yeah, but I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is use you as human sh- hostages. I'm going to just break you. I'm going to destroy your children. But occasionally I'll cry a bit about it. But like... What's well, he, what is he crying about? Like, if, if he, if he recognises humanity enough to cry... He's human, Jeremy. He's showing that he's human and that it tears him up, but that he is protecting people. He is making the hard decisions. And anyone who makes any decision that isn't the one he's making is weak. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure history's greatest monsters have been like, look, it's unpleasant that we have to murder all of these people, but it's for the greater good. You know, we make the hard decisions. That's why you need a strong man in charge. 
a strong man who can make the tough calls, which always seem to be about murdering the vulnerable or torturing the vulnerable or breaking the vulnerable. The the, the tough decisions never seem to be about taking on other strong people. They always seem to be about picking on the weakest. Yeah, strange. Hmm, asshole. And I'm never going to let that happen again, Mike. No, we know know you've you've said... No, but you don't... This is my point. You can't deal with those two issues separately. Mm. Mm. You can't. Sorry. Dickhead, you can, because they're not actually the same thing. Also, I know that the only human, the only thing that he can think of that made him cry was that the death of a child at sea affected an Australian service personnel person. Yes, exactly. It's not the death of the child at sea that made him sad because he doesn't come to care about them when he dies. No, no, what he cares about is the border force person. It was hard for the Australian person in that situation. That the Australian person was the real victim. Ah. And sorry, it's it's a lie. You can separate the two issues because we don't have to do one to do to stop the other. There is no decision that you make in this space that is free of moral burden. Yes, there is a decision that is free of moral burden. The right decision. Treating human beings humanely and with compassion. And yes, putting in steps to protect human beings from dangers. Jeremy, you're just weird. It's not morally complicated. It's actually really straightforward. Just don't do the evil shit. That's weird. That's just weird. Can we have a political party just campaign on the issue? On the the slogan be, we will not do the evil shit. Oh my goodness. Is there any more of this, Morrison, that we have to endure? And you cannot allow yourself to leave pass to think there is on either side of this debate. What I've always tried to do in this debate is respect the motives of people who are participating. I can understand that people have a very different view to mine, are motivated by the purest of motives. All I ask is that they might give the same benefit of the doubt to those with whom they might disagree with. And that's the same point he was making in that bit we grabbed in a recent episode from his Annabelle Crab Kitchen Cabinet episode where he was like, why don't people sympathise with my... Aren't I both... Why can't we just listen and assuming good faith on both sides, both the evil side and the non-evil side? There's... There's been a lot of, uh, or quite a few memes on Facebook around this lately, especially with the midterm elections of the US. It's like, why can't you just respect the way I vote? And why can't you respect my beliefs and how I do it? Because your beliefs and the way you voted are promoting hate and are promoting intolerance and are actually saying you as a human don't deserve any rights. So I'm sorry, Mr. Morrison, Mr. Scummo. I cannot just respect your views to keep people and torture them. To torture people who are refugees. No, not even who are refugees. To torture people for five years on an island. I wouldn't care if they were legitimate refugees or not. I can't support this. I can't have understanding about it and just be nice about it. Yeah, you don't get the benefit of good faith. First of all, you're not even writing an argument on a in good faith because your your argument is based on lies. You have to conceal on water matters lie. Remember, you know the bit where yeah. we, we you fundamentally hide what's going on so that you don't have to, we don't have to find out. Like your entire argument is based on lies and deception and bullshit, false comparisons, things that you yeah. know you know are not false true. equivocacy. Yeah, you won't let journalists see what you're doing on there. Yeah. Like you are, but relying on every shonky thing in the book to try and run this bullshit line. So no, you're not even running your own line in good faith. But secondly. Your line, your your message that for some reason a genuine refugee should be able to be turned away because, oh, I'm sorry, we hit a hit an arbitrary number we set and so bad luck, I suppose you've just got to die. Uh, that's a morally acceptable position. Like, Oh, no, he, he's a, it's a moral quandary. He has them. 
He cries. Your position is a, a monstrous one. The, the idea of what you're doing, which is collective, collective punishment. You are doing the thing that, that the Nazis were condemned for in the Second World War of you want to send a message to the, the French partisans in general, we'll just kill a village that housed them. We want to send a message to the refugees of the world. So we'll just break this bunch that we've got yep. in our clutches. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep... Oh, it's, it's horrible. Morrison, you're a monster. I'm not going to play the rest of the Morrison's clip because I've had enough of him. Uh, if I hear more of him today, I think I might actually be ill. All right, well, we'll have two more things quickly this week and we'll end on one that's more amusing. There's something amusing in Australian politics. What? Yes. You remember that clown who used to lead the Labor Party? He popped up and fell at his face again. But, oh, uh, dear. There's another clown who was leading the Labor Party in New South Wales who's fallen on his face which is Luke Foley, and once again, a person, a woman who's made a complaint of a sexual assault. Well, no, that's actually the thing. The woman didn't make the complaint of a sexual assault. She had a conversation about it with, with, the, when, who, with someone who witnessed it. She decided she didn't want to take it anywhere. She wanted to keep it private. Yeah. There was a media inquiry to her about it, at which point she brought it up to her bosses and said, this is a thing, I don't want to take it any further. And they said, yeah. that's fine, we support you. But she never made the complaint in the first place. And then the state liberal minister found out about it and revealed it. Yes. Used parliamentary privilege and talked about it in Parliament. So any time... I mean, women should be protected from and be able to make these complaints without there being any threat to their career in the first place. But, you know, the the, the rhetoric is, oh, women are doing this for what? Attention? Yeah. Some sort of gain? Yeah. Christine Blasey Ford, she did... She she got involved in that in the the Kavanaugh confirmation because she wanted the notoriety. I mean, because there's so much profit to her in that. The fact that he's on the Supreme Court and she's being demonised and still getting death threats. You know, that that makes total sense. Obviously, she just did it for for that because she's... That's fun. And obviously, this ABC person who did not want it to go anywhere obviously just made it up for the fun of it. Yes. Just ludicrous. Anyway, Foley resigned... But didn't resign. He was just going to sit on the back bench and... Here's the audio of his resignation conference. The first thing I'd like to say is that the allegations against me today, made public by the ABC, are false. I've retained solicitors and senior counsel to advise on the immediate commencement of defamation proceedings in the Federal Court of Australia. However, I can't fight to clear my name and fight an election at the same time. It's just not possible to do both. Therefore, I'm resigning the leadership of the Labor Party effective today. This will enable a new leader to give his or her full attention to the task of defeating the Liberal National Government. I'll be remaining as the member for Auburn and returning to the backbench. Thank you. Did you call Ashley and say it was true? So that was after he'd rung the reporter and apologised too. Yeah. Like, he's still like, no, I'm going to start defamation proceedings. And he refused to resign. He sat on the back bench. Uh, then he waited a day and now has resigned. He's not going to contest the election. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense that you well, can... Well, it was basically, they were basically saying that they would refer him to the state committee if he didn't resign. Oh, okay. No, the, the guy who's who's um, expected to become the, the next New South Wales leader uh, said that he'd be referring him. He'd be making a thing, motion to refer him. What a scumbag. Uh, the other the other theory being that he hung on for long enough for somebody to, you know, the deals a deal to be made to give him a job for if he leaves. Because, you know, he's got a seat at the moment. He oh. could still, he could, you know, he's got a job. He's got income coming in. Greyhounds New South Wales probably really likes him. Yeah. So uh, at this point, it's, I don't know if it's worth going into any detail about the many abominations of Luke Foley's bloody career. But the the fact that I don't expect a great deal from New South Wales Labor at the best of times. But the fact that 
when the state Liberals, who I expect even less of, had finally done something good with the Greyhound Band. They'd finally done something principled that was going to be saving suffering and it was a compassionate policy. And he campaigned with Alan Jones and the Greyhound industry. Possibly the only time Alan Jones has been and Luke Foley have been on the same side, which indicates something right there. He fought and he got the state Liberals to overturn it. So... Greyhounds have, again, being tortured and killed and treated appallingly, all thanks to Luke fucking Foley, who used his position to make the Liberals more evil. Yeah. Not to... You know, he didn't just give in because the Liberals over-argued over him on something or something, you know, that, that they the Labor Party wasn't able to be strong enough to do something better or whatever. No, he actively campaigned to make them more evil. And I can't find um, any news reporting on it, but I did see a tweet the other day that said something about him having the, engaged the same solicitors that um, Mark Latham had engaged for his defamation stuff. Which, same solicitors or the same barrister? I'm not sure which one he, it is. He had the same barrister as the um, QUT, um, the ones who it, it, objected to the Aboriginal kids having a separate computer oh, room. Yeah, there, there seems to be a particularly terrible um, firm of far-right lawyers that will represent far-right cranks, and apparently Luke wants to be represented by them, which makes sense, because apparently that's what happens when you're a terrible Labour leader from New South Wales and you go mad. Uh, for example, Mark Latham! Oh, yes! He's been in the news. Is this our happy news? Happy news, because he's joined oh. One Nation. Oh, and then stood up Pauline Hanson hours later. He did, he? And he didn't stand up Pauline Hanson for something minor. He did stood he? up for Channel 10. Oh, he, well, he has, I mean, you don't want to be grilled by the, the powerhouse that is Joe Hildebrand. <laughs> he, he left her sitting there with a, with a, next to an empty chair. And he was, like, right next door. Like, he was, there was no reason he couldn't have been there. Yeah. Leading to a bunch of reasonable questions like, okay, if he had something else, why didn't he tell you about it? Yes. She had no idea. Here's the audio. It's hilarious. No, I know. This is the this is the thing that worries me because on on, on your big announcement day, he's he's not here. And I mean, this this shot. We've of been doing this empty chair next doing, to you yeah. just speaks volumes to the voters who, you know, who, who 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 do want change and do want people to stand by their word. And we will stand by word. But and I'm sure you have all been in the same positions that you've actually made commitments and. The general public know that too. You've made an appointment with the hairdresser, but the dentist needs, you know. So everyone breaks some appointments. So, so where, if you where think is that, he? If you think that you're actually going, to, I don't know exactly where he and is. How could he not? I don't understand. You're the leader of the party. Starving. He is meant to be Joe. here with you, and and then he, at the last minute he says, "No, I'm not here," and you don't know where he is. Joe, his staff have taken him. I got out here. He went with his staffer. So anyway, that's so where? where it is. And at the he didn't moment, tell you where he was because going. Because there was other commitments that he had. But to what make. other commitments? You're the leader. He's bailed out on you. Has he not even told you Joe, where he's going? You know, I am the leader. But you know what? I haven't got a leash on Mark, and I don't have a leash on any of my members of parliament. But do you not, as a leader, expect your star candidate, your star recruit, to be with you when he says he's going to be with you? And at the very least, if he's going to bail on you at the last minute, to at least tell you where We've he's going? We've been together for the last six hours before I actually had to come so into, where is he gone? coming here. Because he's got, his, he's got other interviews and other commitments that he's got but that he's made. Imagine being owned by Joe Hildebrand. But it gets worse because they found Latham right outside and they sent Hildebrand outside with a microphone to chase him. Never spoke to our producer. Your people never spoke to we our producer. We always said that we would not be able to do that today. Thank you. You told our producer that you wouldn't be able we had to do. Always it. Always said that we would not be able to do that today. Did you tell Pauline Hanson? We had always said that we would not be able. to Did you tell Pauline Hanson you weren't going to be there because she thought you were going to be there? She's your new leader. 
We have always said that we would not be able to do that today. So why was Pauline? Why was why was Pauline? I've been here doing it with the ABC, you see. Yeah. Why was Paul? Why was Pauline your new leader on day one, where your candidacy is announced? Why was she in the Channel 10 studio thinking that you were going to join her and instead ended up next to an empty chair? We had always said that we would not be able to do that today. Thank you, Jane. You've embarrassed your leader on day one and you've broken your first promise on day one. always said we would not be able to do that today. Thank you, Jane. So our producer, who swears black and blue that you swore that you would be on our show today, is a liar? We have always said that we would not be able to do that today. Thank you, Joe. Absolutely. Never said it. Never gave any undertaking to our producer. No one in your office said that you were going to appear on our show today. We have always said that we would not be able to do it who, who said that? We have always said that we would not be able to do that today. Who's we? Mark Latham's office? We had always said that we would not be able to do that today. So Thanks. our producer is delusional? Come on. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Have a good day. Really? Okay. Thank you. Okay. So it's that that end was hilarious. Um, it's like he he looks at the camera. Okay. It's like they had this just one of those little kids' records that just keeps playing and like skipping back. I'm not going to say anything else. We've always said that we are not. We've always said that we're not, and it just keeps skipping back to the beginning. I don't have a response because this is all gone to shit. Yeah. Look. Mark Latham beclading himself is now more funny than anything else. Like, I mean, there was a terrifying bit where because he'd been a former leader of a a major political party, he had some credibility and could use it to push some nasty shit. But he's long since become basically... A massive clown? (laughs) He's a crazy man. Like, he might as well be doing this in his dressing gown. Yes. Oh, he he wasn't? There's actually another video online. He put on a big person suit. He did. There's actually, there's a new news site, which is goat.com.au. Uh, and they were invited to one of the press conferences for Pauline and Mark that day. And there's a cute little video and an article up about it because they sent their little, their team. And one of them proceeds to loudly eat an apple while <laughs> standing right in front of, you know, Pauline and Mark trying to be very serious. And they're being the chief of staff are coming over and like politely trying to shift them off and ask them to leave. And they're just like, no, we, we have our credentials. We're supposed to be here. But they continue to, you know, be pretty much as disrespectful as they could with Pauline. It's a bit fabulous. It's kind of one of those things, isn't it, where this behaviour is... I mean, that, that's a pretty obnoxious thing to do. But when the people in question are people who are so nasty and so shameless and they've done so much damage and they've, they've just... They've spat on the world, on the so, you know, social norms and, wo- and, and world norms and they've, they've been happy to burn everything down around them. And for evil, not for any yeah. genuine, helpful way. It kind of feels like treating them with the contempt they've shown the humanity yeah. of everyone around them is kind of really the only treatment, <laughs> kind of only response no, and, they, they and deserve. I can support that. Because, I mean, I mean, Hanson's still got money and power. Latham is still getting an audience. So yeah, and he's still they haven't money. been la- He hasn't been laughed at. Oh, God, we're still paying him a huge oh, amount of money. Oh, I know, I know. It's nauseating. All right. Oh, and his highly successful cookbook. <laughs> With Alan Jones. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Uh, it's been a big one, but there was lots of there was lots of crazy to cover, and I, I'm guessing in following the, the Melbourne terror thing, there's going to be more crazy. And we're going to be treating the fact that uh, I think it was two two people died, plus or including died. plus oh, the person yeah. the, the yeah. killer. Well, obviously, on the same day, there was a, a, ma- a mass murder in California who went yes. on a shooting spree, but. Oh, he was able to kill twelve people, whereas this person was only able to kill one. Oh, and, and he was a white guy, so it's okay. 
Well, it's just not terrorism, so yeah, it's a sad exactly. it's a sad thing that teaches us nothing about anything. I noticed that Andrew Bolt was talking about the the Melbourne person before it was confirmed it had any of the details, but he's like, yeah, his head covering and uh, motive and uh, and uh, what was it? and complexion seem to indicate something, like yeah, so he's because he's not a white guy, so clearly, mm, hooray. But um, really, Andrew didn't seem to note the main correlating factor between all of these incidents. They're all men. Yes, gender. So weirdly, we, given because you've got also, uh, what, what number are we up to now? Women killed by their partners or former partners this year in Australia? It's Friday night. Far, far too many. It's certainly a lot more than the one this guy killed. Yes. So yeah, you, one might almost think that um, men might be the problem. And not, not Anyway, I'm sure there'll be some more crazy about that this week. Anyway, thank you everybody for listening to the podcast. We have enjoyed having you back. Thank you, Denise, for once again joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy it. Thank you, Ziggy, for holding off your muse until the very end of the podcast, or at least the biggest muse for last. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, who has been supporting us. Uh, Our Patreon subscribers, most importantly of all, you are how the podcast keeps going. Uh, but also thank you everybody who leaves us a positive five star review on iTunes if you haven't done one yet we would very much appreciate it it makes a huge difference Uh, and uh, particularly as the podcast has been going for a while and getting some newer five star reviews is very helpful otherwise thank you Robin Gray for the music thank you Alex Lum for the artwork and we'll see you all next week see you soon